Hi, everybody. No, your ears are not betraying you. This is Eve Harrow, and this is Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. July 11th, 2022, now the 13th of Tammuz, 5782. And I, my apologies for not having um, done this broadcast for the last few weeks. I've been so consistent and so good over the years, no matter what is going on. I've rarely missed a show, but the last few weeks have been totally insane in my life. Um, ben and Tabitha have been great. I'm sure they probably didn't mind the time off. Um, but uh, I, we, what happened was that we moved during COVID. My husband and I were in our house where we raised our seven kids. The house that we built in the land of Israel 21 years ago, it's the second house that we built here. We had built one and then a new neighborhood was being established. So we sold that and moved to a new neighborhood. But I know like every tile and every light fixture and everything in that house and it was built with such love. And there is so much that went on in that home, as you can all imagine. So many wonderful times, a few not such great times. It was a family, a family house. And um, when the kids asked why we were selling it, because we decided we're sitting in this big house during COVID and it was ridiculous and the kids weren't coming and it's not a smart use of our finances to maintain a big house at this point in our lives. So we decided to sell it and wonderful family with many children bought it and they'll fill the house with all their laughter and scraped knees and yelling and all of that. Um, but I said to the kids, and I really do believe it, that the house was a vessel. It was a vessel to raise a family and the family is raised and they're all, they're all gone. Thank God. They're all grownups with their own lives. Um, but we no longer needed, needed the house. But having said that, it was so difficult to leave. And I think it's just hitting me now. A few, like a couple of weeks after we moved because, you know, like you go away, you go away on vacation and you, you don't sleep at home all the time. Right. And then, but you know, it's there and you're going to come home to it. And just like last night, it hit me that I'm not going back to that house um, ever. Like that's just not my home anymore. It's been pretty intense, also physically intense. And I'm sure many of you have done this. God, there was so much junk in that house and the kids had all left things and there were these things we hadn't looked at in forever. And I realized that my cleaning guy just isn't great because there were some things that had dust on them from like the turn of the century. There's just all kinds of uh, things that we came across, letters. Remember letters? Like when you wrote them on pieces of paper, aerograms? So there were letters that I'd written to my husband. He'd written to me. There was a year I spent in Israel when I was 18. And we corresponded letters from family members, letters from friends, um, birthday cards from friends from forever ago and high school things. It's funny because now with everything being so electronic, I guess all that paper stuff, this generation's not going to have. But there's still something really cool about opening a letter, seeing the person's handwriting. That's like, it's kind of sad that the, this generation's not going to have that. Anyhow, boxes and boxes and boxes of things, all the activities that I've done since I moved to Israel. Gosh, I've been busy. A lot of the, the battle against Oslo and the campaign against leaving Gush Katif and the campaign for running for the two campaigns for running for my local, the local council where I was a, a member and I fought for 10 years and just, wow, all these things that I did that a lot of them I just didn't even remember, um, and albums and just everything. And I'm sure a lot of you totally understand, um, kind of the trip down memory lane. But, uh, as I said to my kids, we saved them a lot of work because a lot of people have to do this after their parents pass away and they have to go through the house. So we kind of did that so they didn't have to, I'm sure they're incredibly appreciative. That was, was not the responses that I got. Then again, that wasn't the response actually that I expected either. 
Um, but they don't like my talking about that, but it was just a huge, huge deal emotionally, physically, every which way. So now we're living in a small rental apartment. Um, it's sweet, but it's uh, definitely different than we've been used to for a long, long time. Can't have all my kids here, which is the hardest thing for me, but we'll just have to make new memories and figure it out in another way. It was definitely the smart thing to do, but the smart thing to do and the right thing to do is not always the easiest thing to do, usually the opposite. So that's been my last few weeks. Plus the tourists are back. And so I've been guiding, doing some great stuff. Um, sheep herding with families up in the Shomron. Did a one Israel fun trip up in Itamar and just introduced, you know, 50 people to some of the most amazing human beings on this planet. People who just, they work in agriculture and they learn Torah and they're helping the next generation, whether it's with a dance studio or with a school for kids who aren't fitting into the regular framework, or whether it's the guy who's keeping the sabbatical year to the letter of the biblical commandments, even though people said to him, like, you have all these rabbinic dispensions. He said, you know what? I, it says in the Bible, just leave the land fallow. And that's just what I'm going to do. He said, I feel that that's the right thing to do. So these are my Israelis. These are my Jews. These are my people. Um, and of course it's around Shem, it's around Nablus where I've said it before, certain places call to certain people. That is a tough area. It always has been from the biblical period. It's where everything begins. It's where Abraham comes in. It's where Jacob later comes in with his family to soon be followed by the rape of Dina. It's uh, when the kingdom split, it's, you know, it's where the Israel becomes the capital of Israel of the Northern kingdom. Really amazing things happening there. Really not great things have happened there, but that's usually what happens, right? There's some kind of balance. Like in the place where most evil resides, there you also get the most incredible people. Like even in the concentration camps, you found that people doing things that were just inhuman in an incredibly wonderful sense of helping others. And then of course, in the worst sense of, of that as well. And that's what I feel around Shem also. Like basically my mind has been in transitions, right? Like things are changing and the pendulum is swinging. And that's where I've been for the last few weeks. I also went to the ceremony where I got my master's. Um, and that was like, it's a transition also into, you know, another realm. And just this amazing feeling of sitting in, you know, like just looking around me and just feeling so amazed that I was able to accomplish this in Hebrew and just feeling part of, you know, an academic environment in an Israeli university, which is something that I'd never had the opportunity to do. So that was pretty incredible and almost made me want to go for my PhD, almost, maybe in a few years, but I don't know. In the meantime, I'm just enjoying being outside. So there's just been a lot of those emotional swings back and forth getting back into the guiding. But today I took a course because as much as I love teaching, I love learning. So I was just in the old city today with Tamar Haryardani, who's one of my favorite. She's a tour guide, but she's also a teacher of tour guides. And she does uh, uh, just incredible research on like people and on places. And I've been with her before. I've interviewed her before. She's really something else. So she did uh, the, 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 what it's Ishtamut, like a thing that tour guides do to keep up and to learn new things. Cause we have, we should be not all tour guides do, but we should be always adding to our repertoire and updating ourselves. Um, and also to keep our license up, we have to do that, which is smart on the part of the tourism ministry. Um, so today it was about women in the old city women in, in Jerusalem, like all through time. And it was fascinating, like the, the crusader queen, um, and how she divided, um, Melisande and how she divided 
the Cardo, the main road in Jerusalem um, that had been there from the Roman period, has she divided it into like three different alleyways? Um, one was where they had the butchers and one was basically bad food. And one was where they had like the higher end, be like the Fifth Avenue. And the other one is where they had the goldsmiths and the jewelers and the metal workers. Um, and just seeing, and I'd never really seen that, how that was laid out and why she did it. It was, you know, they wanted people to go into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and they kind of laid out the pilgrim's route. And I couldn't help but think that it was kind of like, you know, when you go to Disneyland, Universal Studios, and you come off the ride right into the gift shop because they want you to buy stuff. So it was the same kind of thing in Jerusalem 900 years ago under the Crusaders where she had like this path marked out, which wasn't necessarily the easiest way to go because they were come, a lot of them came from the north. They should have come in through Damascus Gate. They come in through what's now known as Jaffa Gate and, and they go to the church. And then when they come out, they're like kind of funneled into this whole area, this retail area, basically, so that they'll spend money. And it's just like so funny because things just don't change. Whether you're going to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and then, you know, being going down the road to buy something or rosary or I don't know, whatever it is that they sold in those days, or whether it's like I said, getting off the Harry Potter ride. It's like the same idea over and over. It just cracks me up. So, but that was fascinating to learn about her and to learn about Eudokia, um, another queen who, who uh, you know, changes the route of the walls. Of course, later women, women from the 18th century who dealt with, there was so much death in childbirth. Oh my God, it was unbelievable. And they didn't know about hygiene. They didn't know about the things we knew about. People were living to be like 30 and so the girls were married at like 12 and of course having babies and their bodies aren't ready for it. And the babies were dying and they were dying and oh my God. And just pe- women who got involved with that, who had made shelters for people who were insane basically, or had some kind of disturbances and kept them, kept them safe. And, and women who were running bakeries and a lot of these women were widowed young with a lot of children and they had to find ways of supporting themselves and they just did amazing jobs. I mean, it's, it's just really incredible. And, and to go specifically through the old city, which I know so well and have guided so many times with that, um, that set of glasses on and learn, you know, about women that were involved was really a great thing to do. I'm so happy that I did it. So w- woman, Esther Kellengold, who was a British uh, teacher of English, and she came to Israel in the late 1940s, and she's teaching English, but then all these disturbances start, meaning the Arabs started to kill the Jews or continue to. She ends up joining the Haganah, the pre-state defense organization, and she ends up getting killed in the old city during the Battle of Independence. And her name, no one really knew about her, and uh, except that in the 1990s, her brother, and this, I guess, is why it's sticking in my head, her brother, their mother passed away, and her brother's going through the house and finds boxes of letters that his sister, Esther, had written to their mom, like 160 letters from Israel in the, in the, you know, in the 1940s, including right before she dies. Like, there's a letter that's almost like her will. Um, and published a book. He, he didn't know any of this. And he published a book and then her name became known. So um, just like, it's just so, so many stories. And it was really like a delightful day um, to learn. And I'm so excited about how I'm going to integrate that now into my guiding and, and move that forward. Um, the Old City was pretty quiet today because it's Chag HaKorban. It's, uh, it'll feature it a lot. It's an era, it's a Muslim holiday. So it's a four-day holiday. 
yesterday when I was driving up to the Shamron through one of the Arab villages, there's just like raw meat hanging everywhere. There's literally blood running in the streets. They're skinning their cows up, so like enough to make you a total vegetarian. But it's a big holiday for them. And so if you've been reading about it and people are in Mecca and there's all this stuff going on, so here we definitely feel it in a lot of the shops. Um, in the old city were closed. And I was on um, Mount Grizim, Mount Bracha this week also. And we went to the Trina factory, the Harbracha Trina. If you've never had it, it's incredible. And it's owned by a Samaritan. And it looked kind of deserted there. I wasn't sure they were open. I went and knocked on the door and the guy opened the door and uh, he said they were there. They were not working. Um, he was doing some paperwork because a lot of the workers there are Muslims and they had the week off. Um, but we went in and were able to buy tchina and the people with me were so excited because they paid in shekels here for the tchina, what they pay in dollars where they live. So they bought like a lot because it's amazing tchina. So it's, it's funny because people talk to us or lecture us about coexistence and it's like, we do all the time. Like we know what's going on. We know when their holidays are, when they're not here, they are here. They know when our holidays are stuff disappears out of the supermarket because they need it. Stuff disappears out of the supermarkets because we need it. It's just like with in the fabrics of each other's lives, much more than I think people in the West can ever understand unless I guess you live in, um, in specific neighborhoods. So it's, uh, it's been pretty wild. And, um, it's been great, 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 great to get back into guiding. Really, so many people are here now. Infrastructure and some of the services are still lagging behind. Like you could see that certain waitresses or certain staff people, the airport apparently is a disaster um, because a lot of that support staff either changed jobs or didn't come back or whatever it is. And so people are getting frustrated, which I totally understand. And I've had some of those issues as well. But uh, people just suddenly came back and tourists suddenly came back and and we're still kind of like struggling. The drivers also, there aren't enough drivers because a lot of the drivers sold their cars because they're expensive to maintain. They weren't driving anybody because tourists weren't here. So they literally had to sell their vehicles in order to keep their families afloat. And now they haven't all bought their vehicles back or they're not that many available. So there's just like a lot of those things that kind of having to maneuver through and have some extra patience, but it's just wonderful again to be able to show people the country and read the Tanakh and just, uh, I got a beautiful letter today from someone who was in a group that I guided a few weeks ago, just giving his thoughts on the trip and he'd never been here before. He's Jewish, but he had married someone who wasn't Jewish. So he wasn't like very involved, but he came now with a synagogue and just his impressions of Israel. Um, and I, I read it and I was like really happy because he got it, you know, he guided them for quite a few days and he got it. He saw the good, the bad, the challenges, the history, the future, the, the brightness of the place, um, the biblical connection. It was like, it was really, really like nice to read that and say like, okay, all right, like we can do this. It's, um, I wasn't sure. But, uh, but we can do this. So anyway, um, hopefully I will get back on track within the next few weeks. I already have some interviews lined up 
Um, like with Jody Magnus, one of my favorite archaeologists. I was in touch with her, but she can't come come on um, come on the program for a couple of weeks because she's got some other commitments. But we'll get there and we'll get back on track. And I'll be interviewing some people who I know will cause you to think and to um, to learn things. And I'm super excited about that. And really feel bad that the last few weeks I just was so involved with so many things that there was just no way that I could even sit down and do what I'm doing tonight, which is not interviewing somebody, just kind of just sharing what's been going on. Um, but, uh, but I know, but I assume you guys like all survived and you're all busy and, um, hopefully well, although like a lot of people I know now have COVID, the people who didn't get it earlier, quite a few of my friends now have it like kind of dodged the bullet before and now are sick, but it doesn't seem like really sick. So, Hopefully this is just like a milder version and maybe we've seen the end of this and maybe we have to learn how to live with it. And I don't know anymore. Um, it's just, I think the last couple of years have just taught us to maybe roll with it. You know, like I, I make plans. I mean, I got a call, you know, someone wanted to book me for a year from now for guiding. Of course I wrote it down and I accept it and I'm excited about it, but I mean, who knows what it'll be, you know? So we kind of have to keep from getting, um, to bent out of shape when our, when our plans change because, uh, kind of humbled, I think all of us in the last couple of years. In the meantime, the Jerusalem is a total mess for the rest of the week because president Biden is coming. So, um, not really sure what it's going to accomplish, but going to try and stay out of the city because it just turns into one big trafficy mess. Although I did have a very cool helicopter demonstration. There was a helicopter that was landing on in the parking lot near the hotel in which he's going to be staying. I've never seen a helicopter land like that, just like straight down. It was very cool. We were all gawking at it. So there's been a lot of security considerations and they're going to have the road closures and everything's been published about where to go and where not to go. So basically it's going to be a big snarly mess. Um, so I'm fortunately not guiding in, in Jerusalem during the rest of this week. Cause, uh, I've, that's happened before where VIP has come in and it's just impossible to get around. Um, but I hope whatever he's doing here will be successful. Uh, one thing is pretty clear is that he doesn't understand the Middle East at all. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Um, but one of the, my drivers that I, I was using, in the last week was telling me that he grew up right on the same line, right? Jerusalem's divided between 1948 and 1967. He grew up right there. They were almost killed quite a few times because the Jordanians just randomly shot into their apartment. But uh, he watched a tank get stuck during the six day war. He was like nine or 10 years old during the six day war. And he like watched the battle basically outside of his window, soldiers getting killed. And he said it was totally insane. But he speaks fluent Arabic, and he grew up among the Arabs, and he says that the only way that there will ever be peace here in the Middle East is if we are powerful and strong, and they know that, but as soon as we appear weak, or we um, want to like what we call compromise, then they think that we're finished and that we're out of here, and uh, he, he hears what they're saying about us all the time, and uh, and how they think, and it was like really fascinating um, because for decades already, he's been conversing with the locals, something that most of us don't get a chance to do, or definitely not in their language, which is so unfortunate. And um, I just sometimes wonder, like, how it is that people that are running both this place and other countries 
don't see that? Like, why not just accept the reality and go with that? Why the constant need to project our values onto other people? Um, it's just, it, it, it won't work. I mean, but maybe the goal is in peace. <laughs> That's like a very sad thing to say, but maybe the goal for a lot of leaders is to continue the conflict because that gives some kind of relevance to their leadership or distracts people from other things that are going on, makes other people lots and lots of money. Uh, we all know that, right? Um, and so I don't know. I, I just don't know anymore. It's just like super frustrating to have, to see and to understand and to have been taught and to have accepted a certain, you know, group of facts and, and the reality, and then have the people who are actually making the decisions, like going in a different direction and just know that we're moving further and further away from the quiet that I think all of us want here, or most of us anyhow, except for the jihadists and all the really crazy people. Um, just opening the box of my memorabilia from Gush Katif from before the expulsion. And uh, there was an article in this week's Makori Shon, this week's Hebrew paper, a woman who actually moved for five years. She lived with the refugees from Gush Katif. And, and what she was saying is that in addition to the feeling of betrayal and the loss of losing their homes, which kind of puts things into perspective for me, like I didn't lose my home. I, I, willingly and knowingly made a decision to move out of my house as difficult as it was nobody forced me out and then destroyed it so that kind of like put things into proportion for me which is important um you think i would know that but sometimes you need that kind of smack in the face to say hey like okay <laughs> can't really compare anything um but but what what the hardest thing for them was as the years went on is the loss of their social standing many of them came from development towns in the Negev. Many of them, their families had been thrown out of the Arab world in Africa in the 1950s, and they had lived in not great circumstances. And then when Gush Katif opened up, the end of the 70s, early 80s, they went there and became very successful farmers and really, really good at what they did. And there was a lot of social cohesion and very little crime and really like in many ways, like ideal communities and nobody judged each other religiously, not religiously or racially or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, they lost all that. They lost their standing. They lost their jobs. They lost, you know, the government did not come through in the ways that it was supposed to. And that that, for many of them, was the hardest part of it. It's like falling off that, that ladder once again into, um, into where they had been, you know, where they were growing up and had managed at great effort and tremendous hard, amounts of hard work to pull themselves out of. So it was an interesting perspective, one that... I hadn't thought of and made me even sadder uh, and madder than I was before about that particular crime against them. So uh, it's just been like, as usual, a lot going on. My brain never stops. I'm just trying to to bring all the information in and make some sense of it and move it on and maybe make things a little bit better, or at least not make the same mistakes that we've made before. But who knows? Now Israel's going to go to elections in a few weeks, a few months, and who knows where that's going to be. So uh, just living day by day, basically trying to get to the pool, trying to unpack boxes and hang up pictures and make a home out of our new place. And uh, just, you know, feeling blessed, got my health, everything was good. Made, like I said, made these decisions without, not under duress or anything like that, but just, but uh, it was still hard. Even with all that, I still will say that it's still hard. Even when you make a decision willingly, it's 
you know, it's a transition. Like people who want to have a baby, right? Doesn't you want to have the baby, but it doesn't mean or get married or whatever it is doesn't mean that it still doesn't have challenges. So just you know, hoping for the coping skills and all of that, and to keep everything in proportion, and to get back to my obligations like this show. So um, that's it for now. That's kind of like the update slash excuse slash I don't know what about why I haven't been around. But um, I hope all you guys are doing well wherever you are. Like I said, and uh, and I hope to be back next week. So take care, everybody, and bye for now. And thanks to Tabitha and to Ben. They have work this week for me. They always have it from Josh and Yishai. Those guys are super consistent. In any event, um, Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Take care, everybody, and goodbye for now. The Land of Israel Network is your connection to Israel and the Jewish world. Listen to our show hosts, Ari Abramowitz, Jeremy Gimpel, Eve Harrow, Josh Haston, Mike Foyer, Yishai Fleischer, and more. Keeping you up to date on news, politics, and spirituality. That's the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Broadcasting the truth and beauty of Israel to the world.